Um, hello, everybody. How's it going? See a few Springbok shirts, so that's good. Um, I feel really bad about my sermon topic today because there's like so much joy and everything is going so well, and now I'm up here speaking about suffering. Um, yeah, so as a Man United supporter, I know what it means to suffer <laughs> and suffer long and keep suffering. But amen, there'll be no suffering soon, I hope. I don't know. Um, great, so it's really phenomenal to be here with all of you. I love seeing all the different colors and the different outfits. Um, yeah, so let's dive straight in. I'm continuing on uh, from what Malign spoke about last week. I'm doing 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, if you're making notes, it is chapter, uh, verse 1 to 10. Okay, all ready? Let's go. Let's dig in. Let's suffer. Um, so there is a pastor by the name of Josh Porter who leads Van City Church in America. It's a weird name for a church. Um, and he has a lot of experience in pastoring people through what is commonly referred to as deconstruction. Who's ever heard that word before? Put your hand up. Deconstruction. Okay, so not a lot of us. So I can educate you a little bit. So for those of you who don't know what deconstruction is, it is an incredibly loaded word depending on who you speak to. But generally speaking, it refers to the, the process, it's also a bit of a protest, the process of um, deconstructing your faith and unlearning the traditions and the religion that you were taught growing up. Because a lot of people get to be an adult and they become sort of disillusioned with what they've been taught. Maybe they're carrying a lot of church hurt, so they embark on this journey. But the danger is that some people deconstruct their faith to the point where there's none of it left, and then they don't try to reconstruct it. So there's a trend, especially amongst young adults, um, specifically more in America. I don't know if it hits us properly here yet. Um, there's a trend among young people of tearing their faith to shreds and walking away from it completely. So in a lecture that Josh Porter gave a few months ago, I wasn't there, I just watched it on YouTube, um, he highlighted what he calls the five great predators. Now, basically what these predators are are the five big reasons why people walk away from God. Okay? The first of these predators is biblical illiteracy. And I don't think I need to really explain that. It makes sense, right? How can you know the truth, stand for the truth, defend for the truth if you don't read the truth, right? How can you actually know what God says if you don't know what the word of God says? But the second great predator which is what we'll stick on today, is what he calls the problem of evil. If God is a good God, why is there evil? I'm sure you've all either heard this question or wrestled with it, right? Why have I lost so many family members to cancer? Why is there so much injustice in the world? Why can't these people stop at robots? And I think all of these questions point to one thing. It's this idea of suffering of going through something difficult, right? Circumstances that are difficult. And to suffer means to be in a state where you are experiencing pain, distress, or hardship. And for so many people, suffering is enough to turn away from God. That is sufficient reason for them to turn away from God, no matter the circumstances or what it looks like, what package it comes in, at the heart of it, it is suffering, right? Um, I lost my place. Ah, but for other people, suffering is exactly what turns them to God. In moments of desperation, when you have nothing left, when you are at the end of yourself, 
people find themselves turning towards God, and whether it's genuine and they really are reaching out to God, or it's not genuine and they're just saying it like, Lord, if you get me through this, I promise I will live my life for you. Who's ever prayed that? Lord, if, if she responds to my message, I'll live my life for you. You know, if I pass this test, if you get me out of my suffering, I promise I'll dedicate my life to you. And I just find it so funny that we put a condition on unconditional love, as if he hasn't done everything already. So anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Suffering can cause two completely opposite responses to God, right? The same boiling water that will soften a potato will harden an egg. So really what matters is our response to suffering. And this isn't anything new. It's nothing new at all, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul mentions that everyone in the province of Asia had deserted him because of his suffering. They were scared that they would endure the same suffering, and that was enough for them to run away. So early Christians struggled with this response to suffering. There were people who abandoned their faith for fear of persecution, and then there were those on the other end of the spectrum who actually considered it a great privilege to suffer. That is a mindset that I don't know how old I'll be. Maybe I'll be in, in full glory with the Lord when I, when I fully grasp that. But if you, if you read the beginning of Acts in chapter 4 and 5, you see that the apostles start having a few run-ins with the authorities of the time, right? There's already this sort of tension because they're preaching the truth and they're like, nah, Jesus isn't the Messiah. So there's this, there's this tension. And we all know the story of Peter and John walking up to the temple and there was a crippled beggar. And, and Peter's like, I don't have anything on me, but stand up and walk. You know, he didn't say it like that. He just said, silver, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. And he healed him. Right? He healed him in the name of Jesus. And that caused some like, controversy because they're like, whose name are you doing this in? Whose power are you doing this in? So long story short, Peter and John are taken before the council and for fear of starting a riot or getting any sort of backlash, the council says, um, just don't speak or preach about this dude named Jesus ever again. And they left. The apostles being the apostles, obviously they preached and taught in the name of Jesus, right? Obviously they wouldn't listen. Um, so they did this and they were all arrested again. And they found themselves standing in front of the high council. And while the council was figuring out what to do, there was a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Sounds like he should be from the Lord of the Rings. He sounds Alvin, doesn't he? But he said that this wasn't the first time that a group had been radicalized around one leader. Um, and if this really was just some sort of cult leader, if it was a scam and they're doing this on their own strength, it's like, let it go. It'll fizzle out on its own. Like, we don't actually have to worry about it. But then, if what they are doing is truly from God, we as the council will find ourselves in opposition to God. So they did what they did and they said, let's cover both bases and just let them go. Smart thing to do, right? Um, but not without a beating, obviously. So in Acts 5, um, mm, there we go. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40 to 41, we read that the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. The apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace of, in the for the name of Jesus. Wow, that's powerful. So I've said all of this as a grand introduction to say that as Christians, the way we respond to suffering is very important. 
And it's important for two reasons. So the first one is that our response to suffering has a potential to bring glory to God. For example, Paul being in chains for the gospel. They're like, why are you in chains? Because I preach the gospel. Oh, wow, you're willing to take all of this imprisonment and suffering and face death for Jesus? There must be some truth in that, right? That logically just follows on that people were open to hearing the gospel because they saw what Paul endured for the sake of it. The second reason why uh, it's important that we have a good response to suffering is that suffering can be such a divisive topic when it comes to our faith that we need to ensure that we have a sufficient, sufficient understanding of it so that we ourselves do not fall victim to the second great predator. So let's dig into our text for today. We are in 2 Timothy 2. I hope I labeled it right. Yes, cool. So, Timothy, Timbo, where are you? There you are. Listen up. This is for you, bro. <laughs> Timothy, my dear son, <laughs> be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. Hey, I don't want. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Verse 8. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and I've been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained, so I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Allow me to drink water. Just meditate on that. <clears throat> so before we start walking through this passage verse by verse, I just want to highlight two things. So I think back to when we went through the book of Galatians and how captivated I was by the way Paul weaved his argument throughout that whole book. And it's just like logical flow. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is amazing. Paul was cooking. Um, but that's not, it's, that's not exactly what he's doing here. There's a lot of overlap and repetition of themes and human examples in this text because his purpose isn't to argue a church towards the truth. He is discipling Timothy. He is guiding and encouraging him. So let's keep that purpose in mind. And secondly, personally, I would hate to receive a letter like this. I don't know how I would respond if Gavin or Paul wrote me a letter and said, like, where's, I was allowed to write one letter, like one phone call from prison, and uh, you're next. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I would respond to that. Um, but this letter, the crux of it, as I, as I dug into it, it made me a bit sad um, because Paul, this, this is such a heavy letter, the call on Paul and Timothy's life. Paul is inviting Timothy to take on his share of suffering, and it's not an easy thing to suffer through, the things that these guys went through. So back to the top. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So specifically in verse two, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy or instructing, instructing Timothy to empower others to continue um, 
the spread of the gospel. I mentioned Paul being deserted earlier, and what him being deserted actually meant is not that they were just hiding away, but there was a vacuum of ministry leaders and workers in, in Ephesus and in Asia. There was a vacuum um, where people were once doing the work of God and now they weren't. So this really threatened the spread of the gospel and it was actually gonna bring it to a halt. So Paul was asking Timothy, he was commissioning him to go ahead and close those gaps by selecting and empowering new team members. All on the same page? And that's when we get, oh, that one's on. That's when we get to verse three, which is the clear cut, straightforward, no two ways about it, invitation for Timothy to endure suffering. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Endure suffering. What does that mean? Oh, I've got a tummy ache while I'm preaching. And I'm thankful I don't have a tummy ache while I'm preaching. I've stated already that we can think of suffering as undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. But I want to take it, this definition one step further and say that there are actually two types of suffering, right? There's general suffering, and then there is suffering for Christ, um, there is suffering everywhere we look. You don't have to look far to find suffering. Poverty, violence, illness, death. It is all around us. Corruption. People are suffering. Most of us are suffering simply because we live in a broken world. Some of us are suffering because of our dumb decisions, but that's another sermon. Um, but most of us suffer because we are just in a fallen world. And if you're in that boat, Jesus doesn't abandon you in your suffering. He goes through it with you. And I'm saying that because that's not the type of suffering that I'm speaking about today. What I'm speaking about today is what Paul called Timothy to do. And he's not just simply encouraging him to push through like a stomach ache or like my shoe broke, now I'm suffering. Lord, I'm your strongest, I'm not your strongest soldier. Why are you giving me these battles? Not that type of suffering, but it, it is a focused and direct suffering. In a time and place where Christians were persecuted, Paul was encouraging Timothy to stand strong and endure in the face of whatever suffering may come his way. And so Paul uses three different occupations here to show Timothy how to endure. And I love, this is, this is the greatest like, piece of scripture to ever preach on. You know why? Your sermon illustrations are built in. Like it comes pre-packaged. So I don't even have to do that much work. Um, so he starts off in verse four, um, saying soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And when I think of this soldier that Paul is describing, two characteristics come to mind. The first is that the soldier, suspense, is submitted to someone above him. What this means, being submitted to someone in authority above you, is that you accept and yield to the one who is in authority over you. Submission is the way of the kingdom. No one gets to lead unless they first are able to follow well. My biggest thing when I look at who can lead these certain ministries, who can do something, is how well do they follow? How well do they submit? And yes, we are submitted to Christ. But in, 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 the church, in this context, I'm submitted to Paul. 
right? There's many things where I'm like, yo, Paul, I don't want to do this. And he's like, but you have to. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. And I trust it. And I say, I'm going to swallow my pride and my ego and trust that what Paul has, number one, for the church and has for my life is good. And that I need to suffer through that. Bit of a tangent, sorry. In this case, the enlisting soldier is Jesus. And as a soldier, you are working to please God. So remember, Timothy Timbo, you are not working to please man, you're working to please God. Okay? So the second characteristic that stands out to me here is that soldiers have to have their priorities in order. He doesn't get involved with the affairs of civilian life. He understands that his mission and his calling are greater than the distractions that are in his context that are around him. Make sense? That's why Paul encourages Timothy not to waste his time with fruitless arguments or gossip or youthful pleasures because he knows that Timothy is called to more than that. And that is the same invitation that is on all of our lives. We are called to more. And I wonder if the reason why there are so many gaps, so many, so many spaces that are able to be filled with gossip and drama and this and that and preference is because we're not filling up our lives with that desire to please God. We're getting caught up with the affairs in civilian life. And if our desire isn't to please God, then who are we pleasing? With our priorities out of order and our eyes off of our calling, any minor inconvenience, let alone suffering, will cause us to stray. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to be single-minded in his endurance. The next example he uses is that of an athlete. Rabin, please come up here. Oh, he's feeding his son. Okay, it's cool. Rabin, come up here. Everybody give Rabin a hand. Encourage him. No, you, you don't have to leave your phone. Don't worry. I'm joking. <laughs> Guys, this is my good friend Rabin. Um, we have known each other since grade four. Yeah, a very long time. One of my oldest and best friends. And so how long have you been in CrossFit? Three years, four years? Past three. Rabin's been doing CrossFit for three years. I've been doing CrossFit for three months. There is a big gap in our abilities. I mean, just to give Rubin some credit, he is one of the 200, top 200 fittest men in Africa. What is it, 188? He's 185th fittest man on the continent of Africa. Not South Africa, right? And so there is just a big difference in our abilities. And somehow we ended up at the gym at the same time today. So there's like classes that we go to, sometimes we do together, but we were there between classes, so we trained together. And we had this workout that had handstand push-ups and what we call toes to bar. Toes to bar is when you hang from the bar and you bring your toes all the way up to the bar, right? So it's like, okay, cool, I'm doing this with my boy, let's go, let's go. Obviously I know I'm not gonna keep up, right? So when you can't do a specific movement, there's like easier variations. So I'm like, I'm gonna do the easier variations. Now keep up with him. I, oh, I didn't say. <laughs> like, long story short. So, like, we start going through this stuff, and I'm, like, struggling. I look at him. His eyes are bloodshot from the handstand push-ups, and I'm like, man, we are suffering, you know? But he's suffering at, like, a higher level than I am. <laughs> like, I can't even attempt the stuff he's doing. And so, like, you know, he, he starts, like, getting further and further along, and then eventually he's done with his workout, and he's just cheering you on. And it's like, okay, cool. At least he's nice about it. But there is a temptation. There's this thing in CrossFit that we call rep shaving. 
Where, <laughs> see, he's laughing. When you are behind on reps, Jess, you know this. When you are behind on reps, well, you don't rep shave, you're fine. Um, when you are behind in a workout, you're like, you have to do like 40 reps, like 40 squat cleans or something. You're like, I'm just going to do 35, you know? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a better time by just, by just, you know, cutting a few reps. And the temptation to do that when you're next to a bin is, is off the charts. And so I was there and I was like, Yo, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to finish the same time as him. <laughs> I'm just going to shave these reps. But I didn't, and I'm proud of it, because I realized that if I shaved reps, if I didn't do everything I was supposed to do, I would never get to his level. If I didn't endure that suffering with discipline and diligence, I wouldn't get to where Rabin is. Right? Thank you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> he was scared. He was so scared. Huh? I told him I was going to do burpees, so that's why I left his phone, but I was joking. Um, and that's because the athlete, in this example, exemplifies discipline. Never taking the easy way out, right? And, and it says that athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And following the rules is really hard sometimes, right? Doing the things you need to know you should do when you don't want to do them is also hard. We competed at a competition, like last month, I think. Yeah, last month. And in training, Jason, who's not here today, he, one of the guys who was like, okay, you guys are practicing the workout, I'm gonna judge you strictly. And then all of a sudden, like you're lifting and he's like, that doesn't count, that doesn't count. And you're like, yo, this whole time I haven't been following the rules, right? And when on competition day, if you like lift a really heavy weight, you, it's gassed you and you drop the weights and they're like, you didn't lock out fully, that doesn't count, you need to do it again. It's the most demoralizing thing ever. Like you just, you just like your motivation goes, it's tough. But as an athlete, we need to be disciplined and follow the specific rules that have been laid out in front of us. It's knowing that you will never be able to run the race well in front of everyone if you haven't been disciplined behind closed doors. When you are put on trial, when you are facing suffering, when your legs and your lungs are burning, that's when your preparation kicks in. That's when your preparation kicks in. And to speak more plainly, your preparation is your time spent with God. It's your time praying. It's your time fasting, reading scripture, growing in your character. What happens in the secret place where it's just you and God in private will always manifest publicly. It will always happen. There is no way to get around that. There is absolutely no way to get around that. I went into tangent, but that's not in my notes, so I'm not going to. The next example he uses is a farmer. And it's beautiful because there's so much imagery in the New Testament of farmers planting seeds and how harvest, this idea of a harvest, it's used frequently in the New Testament, right? Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. There's all this imagery used in Scripture. And so in, in verse 6, Paul says, hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Eat that fruit, boy. So what is it that farmers do that Paul wanted Timothy to also do? Well, farmers plow and plant and tend to soil faithfully even when they can't yet see the fruit of their labor. Farmers don't get discouraged. Amen, Nathan, amen. Farmers don't get discouraged. My grandfather on my mother's side was a farmer from a very young age. He left school in grade four, he was 10 years old, helped his dad on the farm, and he just, he was a farmer. Like, so I grew up like, on the farm during holidays, and 
Two things I remember, well, a few things I remember about my grandpa. This is just to honor him. I mean, he's dead, so it's kind of weird. But he always had a big hug waiting for me at the end of the day, and he always had time to watch soccer with me. Um, that wasn't in the sermon. But two other things, I was just feeling sentimental. He had rough, strong hands and deeply tanned skin from years of working on his farm. And you're like, of course your grandfather had tanned skin. He was Scottish, he didn't look like me. Okay, so he had tanned skin from years and years of working on the farm. Okay, apparently that one landed. <laughs> um, these were the markings of a man who faithfully maintained his farm for decades. Decades. Up until he needed like eye surgery and knee replacements, he was tending his farm at the age of 80. And in an age where everything is instant and convenience, and designed to streamline your, streamline your life and make you more sufficient, this might be one of the toughest things to grasp for us. To plow faithfully when we can't see results. Are you able to remain faithful to what God has asked you to do even when it seems like nothing is happening? So being single-minded like a soldier Disciplined like an athlete and faithful like a farmer. That is Paul's instruction to Timothy when it comes to enduring suffering. And the question that is probably on your mind right now is what does that mean for us? What does suffering look like for us? So there are countries where you certainly face suffering and persecution that are close to the gospel, that being a Christian and evangelizing in those spaces means deportation, death, imprisonment, um, you lose your job, they take your degree or qualifications away from you so you can't actually get any work. There is a lot of persecution in a lot of countries. But fortunately for us, I'm saying fortunately for us, that's not the reality that we live in. We don't have to fear in life group on a Wednesday night when we're laughing and making jokes and praying. We don't have to fear that someone's going to kick down my front door and arrest us all, right? But that doesn't mean that we're exempt from suffering. It doesn't mean we can get out of this thing of suffering because our country's not persecuting us for believing. In fact, there are times when suffering is actually beneficial for us. It's not going to feel like it in the moment, and you're going to want to shave those reps. You're going to want to finish the workout earlier and look better in front of everybody else. But there are times where suffering produces a good result. James 1, verse 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. No amens there. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Maybe we'll get an amen there. Maybe. <laughs> so what does suffering look like for us, for me and you? I would like to put forward the notion, and you can push back if you want to, that since we're not facing any external persecution as Christians within our context, that we are in such danger of falling into a routine of comfort and apathy. Maybe our suffering has to be more internal than it is external in this season. Perhaps now we are persecuted by comfort and preference 
and our willingness to choose those things above what God wants us to do. We are bombarded by life hacks and ways to make everything more convenient. It's literally like everything in our lives is designed on shelves, on TV, in our lives, at work. Everything in our lives is designed to make everything more convenient, to help us avoid hard work, let alone suffering. Everything is designed towards ease, which look, is great. I'm glad my car has power steering. Um, but if you go to any local church bookstore, you'll see a whole bunch of nonsense, that's what it is, littering the bookshelves. Your best life now. Every day of Friday, your greater is coming. And my personal favorite, you're supposed to be wealthy. These are literally the names of books, I've researched them, that you can buy from famous Christian authors. And the one theme that connects them all is that there's this underlying assumption that life with Jesus is only designed to make your life easier. But that is not the gospel that we know. Amen? That's not the gospel that we believe. And it's certainly not the life that Jesus himself modeled for us. He was born into poverty, born a refugee, fleeing, what's the word, genocide, right? The son of man has no roof over his head. He was born into suffering. He wasn't born into like Santon. Not talking if you say in Santon, just invite me to your house. Um, <laughs> so think about this. God's glorious grace was revealed in the suffering of his son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's suffering, grace was revealed, right? It was made available to all of us. So my question to you today, even if it's the only thing you remember, is what suffering has God called you to, personally in your own life? What suffering has God called you to? Another way to put this is who or what is God breaking your heart for? Is it a group of people, or your colleagues, or university students, or the homeless, or orphans? The list goes on. The list goes on. And I'll share a bit of a personal story to better explain this, but my wife and I have had our hearts broken for the youth time and time again. We often cry for students and, and pray for them and their families by name. So we're very privileged to be in the positions that we are. A few weeks back, I, had a, I sat down with Paul. Um, I had a conversation with him. I, I asked him, I said, Paul, how do you deal with disappointments in ministry? And he's like, we'll talk on Thursday morning when we have our coffee, usually. And so I asked him that on Tuesday. And during that time, I realized that's actually not the, point, the, the question I need to ask him. I wasn't actually just disappointed. I was just really hurt about things. And so. I went to the conversation, and shame, I feel like he might have prepared something, and I was like, well, we're changing it now. I said, Paul, I'm an emotional wreck. I'm so emotional these days. I'll watch a TV show with my wife, and it'll be a crime show, and she'll be into it, and I'll get upset and stop watching because I'm hurt at how the family treats their children, right? Like how the parents fail the children. Or we're, Dana's watching this random documentary about like the medical like industry and how like this one kid died and I just broke down in tears and I was like, turn it off, turn it off. And these things are like normal responses, right? I'm sure people cry over TV shows and documentaries as well. And these are normal responses. But for me, it was out of proportion because then uh, there was a day when I was in the kitchen and I was just crying for this young man who I was worried was slowly turning away from his faith. I was just crying. 
And I was like, oh, I looked at Dana, and I was like, this isn't me, like you're rubbing off on me. You're the crier. Um, but I was, I was suffering emotionally. God was breaking my heart for these random things, and I was like, please stop. This is Netflix, I wanna relax. And so I chatted to Paul, and Paul said, well, Wes, you've spoken about prayer and intercession, and maybe God wants to break your heart for people so that you will be moved to pray for them more. And I was like, ah, a wise and fearless leader. Thank you, Paul. And that's when everything clicked. There are so many times in Scripture when Jesus responded to people when he saw them and felt compassion deep in his gut for them, right? That's the key. The broken heart, the suffering, That is what moves you to do something that you wouldn't normally do. Out of your comfort, there won't come any change. That's what makes you start a life group and give up a week of your your chill time, even though you've got a really hectic, busy job. That's suffering for people. That's what makes you, this might be controversial, cut your entertainment budget so you can be more generous. These things don't happen by themselves. Yeah, it is. You see, suffering for the gospel compels you to act. And that's why Paul was able to endure everything he did. So let's take a look at verse 8 to 10. Now I'm running long on time. Sorry, Pete. Always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendants of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and I've been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained, so I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. So verse 8 serves as a reminder uh, for Timothy to who our hope is in. And I love the intentionality of the way Paul describes Jesus because there are so many things he could say. Jesus who healed so many people. Jesus who was crucified and, and you know, kicked Satan's butt. You know, he could, there are so many things that he could describe him with, but he just he used two things. A descendant of King David and being raised from the dead. And it's almost as if he is emphasizing Jesus' humanity, emphasizing his lineage, well, by emphasizing his lineage, and number two, emphasizing his suffering. It's a reminder that it was our savior who took on suffering and suffered in our place. And I love that we sang about that before this. And we simply cannot believe that we are above suffering for his sake. And then in verse 9, Paul says, And because I preach the good news, I am suffering and have been changed like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. And it's awesome that he never blames God. He says that I am suffering, I'm being treated like a criminal, but it's not God's fault. And so whether things are going well in your life, whether they're going horribly in your life, whether you are facing death, or whether he was facing imprisonment, Paul knew that God was good. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Um, The question is, is your suffering for Jesus? Just indulge me for a second. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. And picture the things that you are striving towards. Picture the goals that you are running towards. Think of the areas in your life that you put the most effort into. Think of the things that you make sacrifices for. How many of these things are pointing towards Jesus? 
can open your eyes. In verse 10, he says, So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Paul's mission, his why, the suffering that he was called to remained clear to him no matter what the circumstances were. He had an incredible calling on his life, one that required him to sacrifice and suffer in ways that I can't even fathom. So again, I ask you, what share of suffering have you been called to? What are the areas in your life that you need to show some endurance in? Maybe right now your suffering is just self-denial. It's putting a stop to just indulging in all your fleshly temptations so you can turn to God instead of turning to whatever is taking his place in your life. Maybe it's sacrificing sleep to wake up earlier and spend more time with God. Maybe it's rejecting temptation to throw all your time and energy into work to chase that promotion and that improved standard of living and instead use that time to serve those around you. It looks different for all of us. And that's the beauty, the way we have different cultures and backgrounds and languages, we have different callings as well. And the thing is that we're all pointing back towards Jesus. We're all pulling in the same direction. So, I want us to close off, and the band can come up, by just looking at our Savior, precious King Jesus, and the suffering that he went through. So in Matthew 26, verse 39, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he is about to be handed over and taken to the cross and ultimately crucified, it says, he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will be done, not mine. This is a beautiful example of submission and obedience set by our Savior. Amen. So we're going to have some time of ministry this morning. The band has a song to sing. Um, and I want us to have a similar heart that Jesus had here this morning. My heart for us as a community and as a church in this country is that we wouldn't fit the description of the church being a sleeping giant. Oh, I hate that. I wanted to spit, but like that's rude. But I really hate that, that the church is known as a sleeping giant. My heart and my prayer is that us as New Creation Family Church would be a community of people who are number one, clear on what God has called them to do individually and together, and number two, are willing to pay the price of that calling. That is my prayer for all of us. So can I ask you all to stand as we close off in worship? So there's three things that I want us to pray through during this time. The first one is asking that question to God if there is an area or a ministry or a group of people, or even a specific person who he is breaking your heart for. That's step one. The next step, if you have that, is I want you to pray for the strength and courage to suffer for that specific thing or those specific people. And the suffering will look different. And then lastly, 
we speak about suffering, and I am pretty certain that there's probably people here who are suffering. And you're like, where's we're speaking about suffering for the gospel, but before we even get there, man, I am grieving, I am struggling. And the great thing about that is that Jesus doesn't abandon you in that. And we, as your church community, won't abandon you in that as well. So if you fit into that category, we're going to have some ministry leaders in front, some life group leaders, please come up now, um, to be there and pray with you and, and suffer with you and cry with you and walk that journey with you. So if you would like some prayer, the offer is here. Okay. Hand over to the band and then we'll continue.